we are going to combat this. We are going to flatten the curve. It's just like constant fear, and every time you hear like the phone ring, you don't know if it's going to be good news or bad news. A lot of scientific language is obtuse, and scientists often speak to each other, so they have difficulty communicating to a broad audience. Journalists have become the critical translators passing along scientific information to help us all stay safe from COVID-19. Welcome to our ABC 10 News Coronavirus Impact Podcast. I'm Ben Higgins, and we're looking at the different ways the ongoing pandemic is having an effect on our community. In just a few moments, I'll be joined by a North County-based senior correspondent for Science Magazine who's been covering infectious disease stories for decades. First, though, a look at some of the top coronavirus headlines for Wednesday, April 22nd. Here are the latest local numbers. To date, the county is reporting 2,491 cases. There are 57 new cases reported from yesterday. The county also announced that nine more people have died, bringing our local death toll to 96. And the county estimates more than 1,400 people have recovered from the disease. This afternoon, Governor Gavin Newsom said California is not prepared to reopen large sectors of the state's economy just yet, but he is ready to make one modification to the stay-at-home order. We are in a position today uh, to begin to pull back uh, and lean in uh, by beginning to schedule surgeries once again uh, throughout not only our hospital system, but our broader health care delivery system. Uh, these are uh, surgeries that, yes, are scheduled, but also are essential. Uh, tumors, heart valves, uh, the need for people uh, to get the kind of care that they deserve. It's, if it's delayed, it becomes ultimately denied. It gets delayed, it becomes acute. Uh, and that's fundamentally is a health issue. Newsom said California is looking at Washington and Oregon as models. Testing is another big part of the process in reopening California's economy. Even though the capacity for doing testing is still improving, we don't have the ability to get every person who's sick with coronavirus symptoms tested. Hospitals are still limited to focusing on people who are in priority groups, such as older San Diegans, healthcare workers, and people with underlying medical conditions. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher says they have a task force working to set a goal for how much testing we'll need to be able to roll back public health orders. We're going to continue to work to firm up what we believe our San Diego daily capacity should be as a goal. Uh, And that would be a goal not just for capacity for tests, but all of the various pieces that go along with the test. The personnel, the PPE, the swabs, everything that makes a test become a reality uh, to ensure that whatever that daily goal is, is one that we can achieve each and every single day. While they're still working out how much testing needs to be done, they also laid out why it's so important to be able to do widespread testing. Dr. Eric McDonald says the need for greater testing capacity is about being able to quickly answer questions about whether people with symptoms are safe to be at work or in the general public. Is the symptoms that I have related to COVID, yes or no? And having a quick uh, test to answer that question uh, with a short turnaround time is uh, very, very important. Uh, knowing whether somebody is immune or not is also extremely important um, in terms of uh, making a disposition of, as to whether they can be in a specific work environment uh, uh, or uh, even out in, in the public to be able to, to say that they've had this disease. So. And once we reopen our economy, we'll still need to be able to test who is getting sick so they can be quickly isolated. That'll help prevent a second and possibly worse wave of cases. 
National City is now requiring all residents to wear face coverings in public. For the rest of the county, it's only been a recommendation so far. 10 News reporter Jennifer De La Cruz explains why other cities may now follow suit. The county made face coverings in public a recommendation weeks ago, but after a unanimous vote Tuesday night, National City is the first local municipality to make it mandatory. Us and we will uh, do what we can in our powers to uh, um, you know, protect our essential employees, our families, and our neighbors. For now, enforcement is only educational before police start giving out citations. So we will be, you know, gradually uh, moving to, to that, but as of now, it's education. One neighboring city is already talking about adopting similar rules. The city of Chula Vista sent us this statement about their council meeting Tuesday night. The Chula Vista City Council asked the city manager to recommend further directives on face coverings for residents. The city is considering additional recommendations for face coverings. 10 News reached out to other cities to see if they had any similar plans. Poway, Oceanside, and Escondido said no. Escondido City Manager Jeffrey Epps sent us a statement saying so far they've had compliance from the majority of their residents. He added in part, an absolute requirement to wear a face covering in public would not achieve any additional benefit. Jennifer Dela Cruz, 10 News. National City has not announced when they will start giving out citations or how much those fines will cost. The coronavirus turned deadly in the U.S. earlier than originally reported. New autopsy results show COVID-19 killed two people in Santa Clara County in early and mid-February. That's three weeks before the first death was reported in Silicon Valley in early March. Health officials say only limited testing was available through the CDC at the time. It supports the growing theory that coronavirus has been in California longer than experts first believed. And joining me today is senior correspondent for Science Magazine, John Cohen. He's been uh, covering issues related to the coronavirus. Uh, first of all, John, um, what's the experience been like as we've all been suddenly thrown into this pandemic situation, uh, covering it from a scientific perspective? I've covered infectious diseases for Science Magazine since 1990. I have worked more in the past three and a half months than in any three and a half month period of my life. I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, but I also feel useful. I can speak the language fluently. I understand viruses, immunology, vaccines, drugs. So I feel uh, like this virus in some ways was made for me to write about. Um, you know, much as I'd like it to go away, it's kept me extremely busy. Unlike the many people who've been out of work, it's increased my workload. It hasn't increased my paycheck, but it's increased my workload. You know, communication is, a, is an important issue because as our leaders, as scientists have tried to get their message out, sometimes it gets muddled in the language of science that not everyone speaks clearly. How important has the communication of what we're supposed to do and, uh, you know, the information flowing toward the general public been during this entire pandemic? It's been tremendously important, and you're right. A lot of scientific language is obtuse, and scientists often speak to each other, so they have difficulty communicating to a broad audience. On top of that, we have politicians who are forced to deal with complex scientific issues. Some of them do it better than others, and some of them pretend to be scientists, and that's a mistake. We should listen to the scientists, listen to the doctors when we're talking about scientific and medical issues. And far too often, we have had politicians 
uh, speaking as though they truly understand things that they truly don't understand. And that's been, that's led to a lot of mixed messaging and a lot of confusion. Uh, one area that you've covered, obviously, is the the race for a vaccine. And, you know, we keep hearing that the the best way through all this will be for a widespread vaccine to be distributed, but that's generally a slow process. Uh, one thing that could make it faster is potentially testing vaccines by exposing real people to the virus and, and hoping the vaccine works. That, of course, inherently dangerous as well and not necessarily the way things are usually done. Talk about some of the uh, the issues and the debate that's going on on that particular uh, topic right now. Ben, ben, something that people have to understand about vaccines is they go into healthy people. If you're very ill and there's an experimental medicine, you're grasping at straws often and you're willing to take risks because your options are few. With vaccines, we have to be extra careful to make sure we're not hurting people. So the process of approving a vaccine is lengthy and careful because you want to make sure, first of all, that it's safe. Secondly, does it stimulate the immune system the way you want? This is not like a chemical drug you take that just does its thing. You're putting something into your body to make your body do something to actually fight the war. A drug, it's fighting the war directly. This is an indirect way to get at things. It's a very powerful way because our immune system is better than any drug. It's the best drug imaginable. Um, so you do this in a staged, careful way where you start with a few people and you add people sequentially until you're secure that this looks safe. It is stimulating the immune system. Okay, let's go ahead and really test it. So then by the time you get to the phase where you're going to really test it in the real world, you need thousands of people and you typically compare a group that gets the vaccine to a group that doesn't in a, in a spot where the virus is transmitting at a high rate. San Diego right now wouldn't be a great place to do a vaccine study, frankly. I mean, we're lucky. Our, our shelter in place and our other social distancing efforts, I think, are paying off. I don't think there's a tremendous amount of viral spread here. That's not to say that tomorrow, if we lift all of our efforts to stop the spread, that it won't come roaring back or roaring up to a level that it hasn't yet. It, it well could. We're no different than anywhere else. But uh, so far, we've been... We've been uh, really mindful on that front. So you need to go to a place where there's a lot of viral spread. In the absence of that, what you're suggesting is what's called a human challenge study. And that's where you have a vaccinated person who volunteers to receive the actual virus put into their bodies. Now that's been done all the way back to the first vaccine with Edward Jenner and smallpox. And he, he used a little boy who didn't volunteer, by the way, the ethics of that uh, let's, you know, that wouldn't happen today. Let's be really clear about it. Um, but uh, we have done human challenge studies with many dangerous diseases. Often we do it when there is a drug that treats the disease. Malaria is a good example. Malaria vaccines have been tested for many years where you give somebody the vaccine and then you give them the mosquito that has malaria and you put it on their body, you let them get the disease, then you treat them with drugs so they don't get hurt. That, that's a standard model. Well, we don't have that luxury right now because we don't have a drug that works against COVID-19. So some people are arguing, hey, 18 to 30-year-olds, they typically don't get really sick from this virus. What if they volunteer in the same way you'd volunteer to join the military, where you're putting your life on the line for the good of others? And ethically, can you do that? That's the discussion. And I think it's a complicated ethical discussion because 
let's say that person who volunteers willingly to do it gets infected and isn't kept in quarantine for some reason and infects someone else. That's an ethical problem. Let's say that the person who volunteers to do this is a doctor or a nurse and is taken out of the workforce for the time that that person is in the study. Well, that can hurt society too. So these are the balancing acts that are going on right now in this discussion. It's a provocative idea. It's been done before, but it typically has not been done to accelerate a vaccine coming to the public at large. That, that hasn't been the idea. It's been a more nuanced, fine-tuning uh, way to look at vaccines. Speaking of um, both sides and, and a balanced approach, I, in journalism, you're always taught to look at both sides of an issue. But when it comes to a, a science and virus it seems like you have to give more weight to the people who have more expertise. And we keep hearing, you know, lots of things coming from some reputable sources, some less reputable sources. And with so little known about the virus, it, some of it turns out to be true. Some of it doesn't. How do you balance that when you're covering coronavirus issues, knowing it's it's changing? A lot of people feel different ways about it in trying to be fair and as accurate as possible. Well, first of all, I don't write about my opinions. I write what smart people think. And I fortunately have a network of really smart people who are willing to speak to me and to correct me when I'm wrong. And, I'm, and I do make mistakes. Um, I think we've been confronted with this uh, long before COVID-19 sh showed up. You know, it, we have uh, rock stars and, and, and actors telling us all the time about health things. Uh, don't listen to them either. <laughs> You know, I mean, really, get real. If, if you really have to make a critical health decision, it, uh, it's foolish of you to listen to people who aren't experienced and knowledgeable about the subject. And we have constantly been assaulted with information from people, and not just in science and medicine. You, you cover sports. I'm sure you hear people talking about baseball with great authority who don't know what they're talking about. And you, you know baseball well enough to go, oh, this, this is a blowhard. You know, I don't have to listen to this junk. And I think we have to approach things with our same critical sensibilities when it comes to this. And this is a life and death matter. So come on, get real. Take it seriously. Think about the decisions you're making as though this is about someone you love and you have to make a critical decision about helping that person, if not yourself. Who are you going to listen to? You know, I'm, I'm not going to listen to me. <laughs> And baseball only seems like a life and death matter. So I guess that's the difference right here. Well, John, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Thank you so much. Ben, my great pleasure. Finally, it's my goal to wrap up our podcast with a little good news, even if it may seem hard to come by at times. Maricosta College is producing personal protective equipment for San Diego's essential workers. Instructors and students are using 3D printers to produce face shields for local hospitals. The sewing and upholstery students are making fabric face masks for first responders in Oceanside, and machining students are using mills to create decontamination boxes. Just some of the ways local college students are helping fight the pandemic. 10 News is tracking the number of coronavirus cases in San Diego County. Just go to 10news.com and click on our local COVID tracker. There you can find a breakdown of local cases by age and gender. You can also see the geographic location using our interactive map. We also have a list of resources, including how you can help those in need of supplies and how to identify coronavirus symptoms. Just go to 10news.com or download our free 10 News mobile app. 
That's all for today. Matt Boone will be on the podcast the rest of the week while I'm covering local NFL draft stories. I'm Ben Higgins. Remember, we're all in this together. 